Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. And if it is your first time listening to us, we would like to welcome you. Here's what you need to know. At the end of this episode, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the podcast. We're growing in subscribers every single week, and you can be one of those people that's helping us grow. Um, Also, if you've been around for a while, follow us on instagram or facebook that's where you can get in touch with us that's where if you have any ideas for uh, any good music that we should be covering on this podcast you can dm us or you can comment or uh, get in touch with us there and if you are a hardcore good music fan then follow us and subscribe to us and donate to us on patreon that's where you get special access to early episodes and our awesome amazing uh always evolving after hours segment which is uh i think next week we're going to be uh launching into uh we haven't decided a name i'm wanting to call it the bad music podcast but we're going to be talking about whatever artist (laughs) is that week we're going to be talking about (laughs) their worst songs and it is so fun, and it's hilarious. It is fun. And so if <laughs> if you like good music, there's uh, a high likelihood that you will also laugh uh, at bad music like we do. And so, Lucas, yes. uh, today is another installment of one of our favorite series. How about you set us up? Yeah, so this is the fourth episode in our uh, History of Music series so we have been taking a long and extensive journey through the evolution of music just kind of seeing how did we get to where we are and how did all of the musical components that we really take for granted now come to be and we went really really far back in our first episode in looking at ancient music um, looking going at all as back as you know 1500 BC and uh, then our second episode we looked at ancient Greece at their music then our previous one in the series was on ancient Rome and now we get to talk about music from the dark ages so what I'm very excited about this the dark ages for those of us that are not history buffs, what time period does this cover? So this is the first half of what's called the medieval period or the Middle Ages. And the reason it's called the Dark Ages is because this is kind of the the period right after the fall of Rome in 476 AD. And um, this is kind of when like i guess you could say high society and 
um, just civilization in general kind of reduces back into barbarism and um, just very rough living. Mm -hmm. Uh, The empire is disbanded. Everyone's uh, for themselves. And it's just a time when technology really goes back words culture goes backwards it's like almost everything reverts to the way it was like 700 years previous with obviously you know some things carrying over but for the most part you know people aren't living in large um beautiful cities anymore like they were in rome or certain capitals of the roman empire the barbarians came and just destroyed it all Mm. and um, you know, just the feudal uh, system of government just kind of took control. This is where we get the beginnings of, you know, our modern European countries. Um, just all of these regions that were once held by Rome just kind of all were left to fend for themselves and they had to just create their own systems of government. So this is the beginnings of you know, the British people and the French and the Germans and uh, the Spaniards and just all of these places, but they're not unified anymore. Um, there's no real communication between them unless it's, you know, they're fighting with each other. Mm. And so it's just a really dark time, as the name suggests. So that's that's kind of the period that we're looking at. You know, we we lose a lot of um, literature during this time because when the barbarians and this is the reason why I said in the last two episodes of this series that we have barely anything to kind of show for them in all a lot of areas of culture, anything that wasn't, you know, architecture or sculpture, you know, stuff that's not perishable anything that was paper um was destroyed because when the barbarians would come in they would just burn everything they weren't taking anything to preserve and to keep Mm. and so so much of our ancient literature our music our our plays and our poems like so very little of it is left and um, we don't. This is not a period where new stuff is being made, and a big reason is because of the barbarism that has taken hold. But there's also another reason. This is actually what's going to really transition to us into the music of this time, and it's the one you could say significant survivor of the Roman world, and that's the Roman Catholic Church. So even though the Roman Empire was disbanded, uh, the Catholic Church really was able to solidify its power amongst all the different areas and have a unity. The Pope was still had all of its authority. In fact, it gained authority because it didn't have an emperor to answer to anymore. Mm. And the Pope was actually probably the most powerful person in the world for about a thousand years almost. Well, might as well have been the emperor of the world, or at least of the Western world. 
And they, because the world was in such a um, dire environment, and because, the, you know, it was just, there was attacks on every front there was you know there's almost just like this this fear of this evil world outside the church put very strict rules on what culture could be and what it could not be and so anything that was presented that was not religious was considered sinful and worldly and was punishable by death oh wow okay the Inquisitors. So, exactly. And so, you know, the art and the architecture and the music that we do get from this time all has to be approved by the church. And so you don't have any secular artists, or at least not any that had their work preserved because it was considered a crime. Wow. Yeah, so um, really the Catholic Church is going to be the driving force for the next couple episodes of this series. And um, what we'll go into now is just kind of looking at what the music was like. So there was only one style of music, and this music really doesn't change for about 800 years. Oh, wow. So we're looking at about 476, the fall of Rome, till about the year 1000. So it's about a 600-year period where there is absolutely no development, no change in music. Wow. And that would be the style of music that we have in this episode, where it's pretty much fully vocal Kind, kind of conducive to a monastic life. Yes, exactly. So this style is is called plain chant, although it now has the name uh, Gregorian chant, which is probably the, the term that most people are familiar with, although I found that that's actually technically an incorrect term. Hmm. It's called Gregorian chant because the the musical style was developed during the time of Pope Gregory. But the they the thought behind it for a long time was that he himself came up with it, but that's actually not true. He just happened to be the Pope in charge when that musical style was first implemented. Um, but the the actual term for it is called plain chant. So was was this a style of music that was developed before 476 and it was just the only one no. that was allowed after? No, it was about the, around 600 that this style was developed. Oh wow. So... And but it was they took a long time and they um were very meticulous and strategic in how they made the music sound because this type of music was not for public enjoyment. Right. And you could probably tell as you're listening to this because uh, what we're going to find is that this music is very um, – it's very sp- 
melodically sparse as far as there's no hooks. There's not a lot of, Ethan was saying before we recorded, I was just like, I couldn't hum to any of these. And that's exactly what they're going for. This is music meant to put you in a calm, meditative, spiritual mood for you to reflect upon the holy things and for you to not think about the pleasures of your flesh. So for that period of time between 476 and 600, we didn't have music. Well, we just don't know what it was. Okay. Again, this was not only did we not have the advantages that we were losing in the previous episodes, but also the fact that, um, you know, just everything was so in flux. I'm sure that there was music. We just, we didn't start having the music we know for sure today that we have. And a big reason is that we finally actually are writing music down during this period. That's the thing that I enjoy the most about this episode is I know I like in the past episodes, we've been like, well, if it was this way, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. Now yes. like, hey, from now on, from now on, there is without a shadow of doubt that we are performing it exactly the way that it was intended. This is the oldest music in the world that is still faithfully recreated, at least in Western culture. Yeah. I know that in some places like in Eastern, in India, China, and the those places, their music has lasted a long time. But as far as the trajectory we're looking at in Western music, this is as far back as we can go and have, and it's still being played today. And you go to um, a Roman Catholic mass, especially in these European countries, this is still exactly what they do. So are, are we using the uh, way that we write music now? No, but it is definitely the um, the progenitor, like the the prototype. Okay. So looking at the kind of sheet music that they use, you can see where the idea later comes. We'll actually look at that in our next episode when we finally get all of the notation that we use still today. This was a this was an earlier form of it, but because of the fact that the Catholics were so uh, persistent about learning it this way, just throughout in all of the monasteries still to this day, they just always have taught it the same way. Yeah. And so we are, we are able to read it very easily if you know how to read it. No. So, um, so yeah, this music is, um, as you noticed, I'm sure listening, it is voice only. Mm -hmm. Instruments are not allowed, is forbidden. Why? Because, because um, it's just meant to be uh, a purely one-on-one -on -one, uh, encounter with God. You know, the, the instruments can be seen as um, merely adding substance, and that is not allowed that makes sense if you also if you also notice there's no harmony in any of the voices they're all singing yeah. the same line the i last time whenever we were talking about roman music we said that we were going to take a like because you had already done your research by this time and mm -hmm. 
I hadn't listened to the songs until very recently. And I was I was pretty saying disappointed makes makes it sound like I'm like anti like this episode, but I was surprised that because like whenever we were talking about the Roman music, because remember we had like weird instrumentation stuff going on and lots of experimentation with like tension, you know? And stuff speeding Mm -hmm. up and stuff like, you know, like weird, like, you know, like just weird stuff to just create drama. And Uh whenever I was listening to this, I was like, man, like we, we gained in that, like, I think that there's more melodic structure, not in like a singable kind of way, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's more melodic mm-hmm. interest even in that single line but losing instruments was a big uh step backwards yeah as well as losing freedom to experiment and all, yeah in all harmony and <laughs> all harmony i, I exactly. will say this though that <laughs> listening through the songs even though we didn't have much harmony you could still feel a tonal center yeah Maybe that's just like mm-hmm. because the music we have now is built off of this music fundamentally that yes, that we can kind of looking back now fit chords to what they're singing or, or our brains mm-hmm. do that. But it is just it's it, I guess it kind of shows the power of melody in itself that that even just melody can carry a full song. A very simple song, but it is a yeah. Song. So let's so let's talk about the theory that they're using. Not much. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely theory has has some way to go. At this time, there are only the eight natural notes that are being used. But what instead of because there's really not. They don't use different keys because obviously they haven't started using the accidentals yet. That's not until later that they start there, adding that there in. There was one in one of these songs. I will say that. Yeah, there was. Well, yeah. But it's still using I mean, odd notes. Yeah. So what they're okay. So what they're doing is they're using what's called the church modes. Okay. And it's the same modes that we talked about in our ancient Greek episode where it's you know it's the same notes but it's about where the where the tonal center is so they're they're using you know uh ionian lydian mixolydian phrygian all that stuff the church so that's that's yeah so that's kind of the the basis that they're that they're centering everything around And just again, the whole the whole point is just to to um, oh we should we should also talk about the setting. So this music is only allowed to be played in church. You cannot play this music outside of church. That's weird. That actually or like you die. I mean, yeah, it's it is it's for not because not only. Cannot be played. It cannot be performed by anyone except for male monks that have devoted their entire lives to God. The common man cannot 
perform this music. So they don't, it's not like a church today where you have volunteer musicians that have ordinary lives elsewhere. And this probably you have to, unless, unless they were just way more musically adept back then, like, I, I don't even imagine this being a song where it's like, come on, everybody in the crowd, sing along. Uh, there, nope, there were a couple no... of like back and forth chant kind of things, but like even those were pretty. Yes, and, pretty we'll, and we'll get into that later about different. There are different kinds of chants to give it some variety, and that was kind of a mission of also mine when I was picking out these songs. I wanted to have six songs that are definitely all different sounding from each other and have their own um, sound. But yeah, so that was part of their. Um, their required training in the monasteries is that they had to learn how to sing these songs mm. and they were super strict like you could get beat for having one note out of tune this is like, like that's how serious that's how serious they took it this is because serious, this is such a like, sacred religious thing. statism it was like uh-huh. a dystopian novel <laughs> yeah, it really is once you start to read into wow. it. Wow, okay. Uh, also, no women are allowed to perform. So in the instances that you hear higher voices, those are actually young boys. It's where we get the term choir boys. Not, at the, not that very final song in the thing? Not, they're, those are males. Those are, those are young boys that have that their voices are still higher. You can but I've already been donated. What you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had to do that. I'm sorry. So yeah, so very, very strict rules. And what we're going to find is as we go th- through these episodes is that we're going to find that the Catholic Church probably one of the things that they hate the most is change they're very stubborn they want things done the same way because they say so it's a it's a way of pretty much holding on to power over the people um it's really no secret that during this time the catholic church was pretty corrupt um and you know obviously there's there was some good out of it you know you can have defenses that say that this was really probably the only way that culture was able to survive because life was so harsh during this time this was a way for them to defend against the barbarism of the outside world but at the same time it was also pretty brutal inside the church as well so as far as the monastic life i mean what was the what were kind of the rules to get in i mean obviously you had to be male but like, was there a certain age where it's like, no, you are too old, you can't become a monk now? Yeah, it's I, really so much of Star Wars and the idea of the Jedi Knights is based off of this principle. You know, you you are devoted and dedicated to the monastery when you're very young, and once you're there, you are there for life. You know, it is a lifelong commitment, and you know, pretty much. Like there's services going on all the time, and there's tons of different um, 
you know, services that are required of the monks, you know, really we can thank the monks for, they were our great transcribers. They're, mm-hmm. They are the reason the Bible still exists today, you know, faithfully copying it over and over and over again to make sure that it lasts as well as, you know, the church would select uh, specific historical historical documents, you know, and it's the reason why we have some of our great works from the ancient world as well. And so, so um, it wasn't the church that was trying to keep the history from being destroyed. It was the barbarians who destroyed that history and the church who kept it mm-hmm. from becoming or kept it from progressing. It was a yes. really you could you could say that they were the they were the the civilized heart at the center of Europe during this time. They were really the ones that stemmed the yeah. tide. It of seemed like they were the only ones that were because even bringing any kind of law and order, like like consistently. Mm-hmm. Weird and it's a reason why. Yeah. And it's the reason why that they became the most powerful people in the world is because. You know, they were even more powerful than the kings of that uh, mm-hmm. of that time. You know, kings really had to answer to the pope. Yeah. And the pope is the one that decides if you're going to be a king or not. If, you know, if you do something that the pope doesn't like, he can have the people turn against you and have you dethroned. That's true. Yeah. Like he was – it's powerful. Yeah. And – you know, it's not like how the Pope is today. It's it was very different. So what ended? Um, you said that this is the first half of the medieval kind of music period. Mm-hmm. What I guess, without spoiling the next episode, like what what defines the difference between halves? So it's really when we start to. Um, when we start to introduce some new musical ideas as well as the creation of the modern musical notation. Um, Pretty much just finally you have some church leaders that are a little more forward thinking that decide to, um, to introduce harmony back into things. And uh, this is, this is what we call monophonic music. Um, where it's just one melody line throughout the whole yeah. song. And there's only one melody being played at a time, even though there's a lot of people singing, they're all singing the exact same thing. Um, it's with the introduction of polyphonic music, where you can have more than one melodic component working at the same time, that that's when the next musical period begins. It is kind of like we're starting over. Cause I feel like with, uh, Greek and like even the more of those ancient music, they had a, a monophonic sound for a long time, and then they had to find their own harmonies again. Uh huh. Yeah. And then there's one last thing that's that's very important to know about um, Gregorian chant, and that's the 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 language. All of it is in Latin, no matter what part of the continent you're in, no matter what region you're in, it is Latin. It is the language of the Roman church. And that's by design 
because at that point, no one spoke Latin anymore. That's another reason why people did not sing along. The people are not meant to understand what is being said. Also, if you have to think about in this time, people didn't have their own Bibles because the only Bibles were in Latin. And those Bibles were in the church. And so when people would come to services and listen to this music, it was not meant, you know, it's not like today where you've got the words on the screen and you're encouraging everyone to sing yeah. along. This is very much all about putting people in almost like a spiritual trance and just engulfing them in this atmosphere of reverence and meditation. And, you know, it's while you're at this time, this is your time to like pretty much pray and, you know, make sure that you're right with God. Uh, so I guess, right. The, the Catholic church was, like you said, very prominent politically. So obviously there were churches around Europe and the, the common man was allowed to attend, I would assume. Oh yeah, it was required. It, okay. And would, would this singing occur during like the masses that back then? Yes. Okay. Uh huh. That's, that's what I had thought. I just, you know, was making sure. Um, and then of course, obviously, and then, of course, you know the the actual speaking right. by the uh, by the priest would be in their language because obviously they need to be able to understand. But the singing, all in one, and they wouldn't be able to read their own Bible because it was all in Latin and nobody knew. Yeah, that it wasn't until the Renaissance that we start in the the Protestant Reformation. But the, the with Martin Luther that that's when we actually start to have, you know, the Bible entering people's homes for the first time. Right. And that, and that was a very significant event, which ended the middle ages supposedly or helped bring it in. But it was one of the, it was one of the big things. It's, it's, it, it falls under the kind of the whole Renaissance period where just everything kind of went into hyperspeed. So, so how was it by design? Obviously it was by design, but how was it and why was it by design that the people wouldn't be able to read the scriptures for themselves? Was that like a method of control or was it just like, we want to keep the scriptures? Well, it was also so that way, you know, the, that the Catholic church could come up with their own mm -hmm. rituals and say that it's biblical when it actually wasn't. You know, the idea of penance and confession, and that those are all not biblical ideas. Those are Catholic ideas. But because they're not able to verify on their own that that's not biblical, they have to just take the priest at their word. So it was a method of control. Absolutely it was. There was, there was a fear of the common man being able to interpret the Bible for himself. They did see it from, I guess you could say, a good intention at first, although it led to serious corruption down the road of, you know, they just – they took spiritual matters so seriously. It was the gravest thing in the entire world, and they, I guess, feared that people, especially people of low intelligence, 
would interpret it incorrectly and would spread blasphemy and Damn. immorality because they're not because they they're just common folk they cannot possibly understand this this super important spiritual text it is our job to communicate it for them and they have to trust what we're saying because we're the experts hmm. man yeah so it is it is kind of weird but at least it had good intentions at the start but like most I can, yeah, do. or at least, or at least it can, it can be seen that way. Who, who knows if ever that was how it started, but you know, you could argue that that's that's the thinking that they were looking at. But I mean, obviously, now we all know that that was very seriously oh, yeah. abused pretty oh, quickly, yeah. especially as they realized how much power they had. And how much money they they can make? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you look at all those huge cathedrals that were built during this time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, that was all because of the fact that you know those were not government ordained projects; those were church ordained projects from the common people's money. Man, right. And, you know, just if they don't have a Bible, you can say this is biblical and they literally have. And because of the fact that if you say that's not biblical, they'll kill you and make an example of you. They'll they'll demand you. They'll call you a heretic. Was this the um, witch hunting era or is that later? Okay, no, no, that's later. (laughs) And this wasn't the Black Death era either. No. That's um, that's at the beginning of the high uh, Middle so, Ages. In fact, that's one of the. In fact, that's one of the turning points of just kind of civilization going. You know, we were on the brink of destruction. We've got to start making changes. And we did have the first Crusades during this era. From what I remember, um, right? towards the end. But no, no, that's. I think that there may have been some at the very end, but that's also mostly a high Middle Ages Do we thing have as well. any major historical events during this time? Yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, you do have the establishments of, you know, the modern kingdoms. You know, right. if you've ever heard of King Charlemagne, oh, okay. this was during this time. He's pretty much the the man that kind of not only – brought about the rise of England, but the rise of France as well. And, um, you know, his, his rule is kind of considered like the first, he's like the first great King. Um, you, you really don't have a lot of, I guess you could say a lot of big iconic moments during this time. Um, you know, obviously you've still got the Ottoman Empire in the East, which was pretty much just the Eastern Roman Empire that was able to withstand uh, the barbarian hordes. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't remain as the Roman Empire. They remained, you know, they became the Ottoman or the, the Turkish Empire. And that's what you could, that's kind of where, you know, Eastern Orthodox religion comes from. They lasted until about the 1400s, and that was mostly um, 
you know, they had all that going on over there. So really there's, that's a kind of another reason why it's the dark angels. There's just not a lot going on. Everything is remaining stagnant during this time. Not only did we take a big step backwards, but we also didn't move. And this was really before any kind of like, I would say globalism was happening. So I agree with every, everyone. Oh, absolutely. Anything because, because we just, we just came out of a period of immense globalism, the biggest globalism at that point. You know, Rome Rome controlled most of the known world at that time because obviously no one knew that the Americas were out in the middle of the ocean. And the uh, Far East is just still you know, far away. Yeah, and so as far as what was considered the modern world, Rome controlled pretty much all of it. And what we're going to see, and this is going to really help us set a standard because we're going to, this is the beginning of the pattern that we're going to see time and time again as we move through the series. Whatever musical style comes before it, the next one is going to try and do the opposite. There's always going to be this uh, reaction against what comes before so even and of course once we move forward it'll seem like it's more subtle but in this this is a very drastic change from episode to episode right but there's going to be always there's always going to be some reason why the next musical form is rebelling against the previous one and it's the reason why we have these musical styles that change usually it's not super smooth it's all of a sudden, you know, you have these new artists that come in and says, this way is done, it is old, it is um, overused, it's time to do something new. And then the new wave just comes in. Well. <laughs> good old, well, the good old church. Well, I feel like yep. that. Yep, and they're going to be a major uh, topic of discussion over the next probably four or five episodes in this series they have a hand in shaping or resisting whatever musical styles are going to be coming through if if you could give us a little bit of what life would be like for the common person outside of the church just because if you can i mean just because we obviously we don't know very much we kind of have a better idea for the other three but as far as the dark ages it's like obviously there was feudalism there were kings you were kind of your land was kind of owned by the king and your work was kind of owned by your Mm -hmm. whatever monarch and you had to serve the job that was given to you yeah, I mean, pretty much for the most part, most people were peasants or farmers. And um, the church was kind of their one um, area of life where they kind of got to experience something that was higher civilization. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they really kind of didn't care who their kings were, whether they were good rulers or bad rulers, because their lives pretty much never changed. They're they're born, they work, they die. That was pretty much the extent of it and the church was actually a place of 
of refuge and peace. So the church was it was, was good when, for their morale. It was the morale booster of the time. As exactly, it's another reason why I believe that the church is the reason that civilization and I also survived. Think, it's what it's one of for a I lot of people. It's what gave them with hope. most as with most things in this world. I think that the upper echelons of the Catholic Church were doing some pretty bad things, but I think that a lot of the smaller churches and like the kind of the boots on the ground, like pastors that got into it for the right reasons were good. Yeah. I think that it's easy to demonize the Catholic Church. Well, of course they didn't were not perfect and they did some pretty bad things. I think that especially in today's climate, it's easy to forget about the good that they did do. Yeah. And just, you know, if you were to remove them from the equation, we would have an infinitely different future if yeah. we even have one. Man. For better or for worse, we are here today because of the Roman Catholic Church. There's just no question about it. Hmm. Crazy. And, um, you know, people still listen to Gregorian chant today, even outside of the church. There was kind of a uh, a pretty crazy revival of it in the 80s and 90s. Um, as far as just like, you know, people buying albums. And I've, I've talked to several people before that actually listen to it on a regular basis just to put it on the like, have a calm atmosphere. Like they'll put it on just like, I like to listen to it while I work because it relaxes my mind or I like to go to sleep listening to it. You know, people aren't listening to it because they want to sing along or hum the melodies, but it's, it still is effective in doing exactly what it set out to do, which is to calm the mind, calm the spirit and, and uh, create this atmosphere of one-on-one experience with God. And the fact that it still has that power to do it, I think is actually one of its mm-hmm. secret brilliances. Yes, it was probably used for a method of control back then alongside of it, but you know, you you kind of almost can't deny the the effect that it's had. It did exactly what it set out to do. It's what a good artist does. <laughs> And it's the reason why it lasted for so long and still lasts to this day. That's crazy to think that. Because we don't go out buying ancient Roman music albums. Nope. It's the, and it's the reason why it was so hard to find songs for the previous three episodes. But once I got to this, I almost had way too much to go through. There's mm. so much of it. And also, you know, there's there were a lot of songs written this time, which actually leads me to a point that I didn't even mention. We still do not have composers. Oh. We do not have names on the songs of who wrote them because that was considered vanity at that time. You, When you write a song, it is the authorship of the church as a whole. Because that's pride to say that I made this song. Look at the work that I made. That was not allowed. 
So we still actually don't know who wrote these songs. They're anonymous. That's that's kind of a good point because it, it sort of brings me to something I kind of wanted to say with, with these songs. It sounds very community-oriented, almost almost mm-hmm. collectivist in like a, in a weird utopian sort of, well, okay, more like dystopian sort of way where there is, it's a loss of like the individual as far as the performers that they're, mm-hmm. that unless it's like one of those call and response where it's just, or there's kind of a sense of a leader and then the followers musically, for the most mm-hmm. part, these songs sound very, it's just voices. It's not performers, but it, it I get, yeah. I get the image of like faceless, you know, hooded figures that are singing in, you know, a, a dark or rainy monastery with concrete walls. And it's not, it doesn't feel like the Baroque era where you're in a grandiose church and everything's made of gold and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like that. It feels very collectivist in a negative way. But still very peaceful. Uh-huh. Like they're content with it. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I I don't know what you can draw from that, but that's just the feeling that I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys don't have anything else, let's, yeah, let's talk about the songs next. All right, so we'll go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, six Gregorian chants that we have picked for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about the Middle Ages and the Gregorian chanting that occurs during this time period. We're talking about anything from the fall of Rome to about 1000 AD. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we have selected for this episode. So, for those of you who do not know what I'm talking about, six songs, what is this segment? Well, you're new. Welcome. And, Lucas, could you explain to them so they're not so confused? Yes, I will. (laughs) Um, So, the six songs are a little bit different in these kinds of episodes, but normally what I'm doing is I'm picking six songs to either represent an artist or, in this case, a musical era and style. And so... This is going to be our way to concretely talk about all the things that we just talked about in our first segment. And um, this is going to be your introduction to Gregorian chant. So if you've never listened to it before, I'm going to kind of give you a, a bit of a wide selection of the different kinds of Gregorian chants you might hear. 
So, um, and then I also tried to order them in a way to where there's kind of a flow from start to finish. So it's not just a random collection of songs, but um, if you take the time and just kind of sit, I would, with Gregorian Chain, you'll probably want to like find a nice quiet room, sit, close your eyes, and just let the music kind of take you on its journey. Um, the way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode. I'll take you to a Spotify playlist, and that's where you'll be able to find the songs. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the first song, which, Ethan, you were uh, very shocked to know that this song was as old as it is. And that's Ave Maria. And I'm shocked to hear that this is the original version. Yep. Because all the Ave Marias that I know are like the that modern interpretation. Well, so the modern interpretation is is from the 19th century. Um, composer named Franz Schubert. Mm. And he uh, he's he's one of the most famous composers of his time. Um, he's kind of the one that did the modern reimagining of it and most because he he made it for more of a an operatic uh yeah flavor and so but i mean the the root is still there Mm -hmm. you know it's more it's he didn't rewrite the song with a new melody it's pretty much you know just a a modern interpretation and so whenever people play ave maria today they're they're more leaning on the schubert version but it's still the root of it is all the way back from the dark ages who is maria uh that is mother mary classic that makes Mm -hmm. sense ave maria translates to hail mary Oh. oh like the football play Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Yes. No, I know you're talking about uh, the the prayer. It's like Hail Mary, Mother of Jesus. That's Mm -hmm. how it starts. Yep. I I don't know the rest of it. Yeah, it's pretty much just it's a prayer to to Mary. Very simple. And this is like just the prayer. Yeah. Sung. Uh-huh. That's what oh. most that's what most Gregorian chants are, is their their prayers put to music. Huh. So when they did the when they did the Hail Marys, were they always in Latin? Um no, I mean like whenever they would do those Oh wait, you're thinking about the prayers. Yeah, I'm thinking about like like when they literally No, because 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 again the common person did not speak Latin. So they would, they would, whenever they were praying themselves, they would use it in their own language. But the song is in Latin. Okay. So um, it's pretty. So what did you? What? It's pretty difficult to. Because I always try to think like, what's my favorite part of the song? But I think that comes like this is going to be very difficult for this episode. Well, that's right. If you <laughs> haven't listened to the songs. By the way, like if you if you don't if you're not on the Spotify playlist and you haven't listened to the songs, it's really for especially for these, it's important because it were I think I'm probably gonna start taking more of the stance of like what what all did we lose in Roman music, you know, in ten mm-hmm. because like 
we talked about in the in the first segment where it's like it's all just like it's a bunch of voices but like there's no harmonies it's just one line the whole time you know Mm -hmm. and there's not a your your typical song structure where you have verses choruses Mm -hmm. like the the songs pretty much move in a linear fashion well because anything yeah if anything you may have a, a you may have a repetition like if you get to the halfway point and then you just start the whole thing over and sing maybe the same melody line but with slightly different words but that that's about as repetition as you're going to get i will say though uh musically for all the shade that i'm throwing at it i will say that they did accomplish their goal because whenever i would listen to this in the car it was it was a the experience that I had listening to it was was genuine to what the song wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like the kind of the world just slowed down and I was just like, huh. And once once like my musical mind got past like analyzing it and I would just listen through it again, it's it was just like yeah. Like it was it, it's kind of like in a weird kind of way, it's like, you know how if you're like studying for a test or like whenever we were in school or whatever, it's like you are working from home. It's like you put on like background music. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, it's something that I need there, but like my mind can like kind of, it allows my mind to like be on other things. Yeah. That's how I felt about this song. Yeah. And there's, um, this is going to kind of introduce an interesting concept about how, you know, we cannot listen to all music the same way. This is a music that if you try and listen to it with your analytical brain, you're going to get kind of frustrated because first off, it's not intended to. And second off, you really just can't unless you're uh, a crazy genius that knows exactly every note they're singing as they're singing it. Um, and even in that case, you know, it's not going to be that interesting. Mm-hmm. No. This is this this is music that's meant to be felt. You're supposed to listen to it with your soul, with your feelings, with your spirit. Um, Once I got you know, past, like in a weird kind of way, and I, and I said like at the at the very beginning before we were even recording, I was like I couldn't hum it, you know, and at first mm-hmm. that bothered me, but. Then I think it's once you let go of like your Western ear, you know, yeah, and you're just like it's actually in a weird way like for my brain like freeing that I never like I I I listen to this song a bunch, you know, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and no matter how many times I've listened to it, I haven't been able to like pick up on any part of the song, and so yeah. then I started just I just gave up on trying to like learn it and just accepted that it's like I can just put this on and just like not ever hear it in a weird kind of way like yeah just, just let it take you where it wants to take yeah. you so yeah I I think that that's, that's the point that you want to start getting to with uh, with these songs is that you know you our tendencies, we want to try and listen to it the way that we listen to other music. Oh, yeah. And and with this, Especially it's going to... Especially kind of Roman music. Uh-huh. Where we were... 
in Roman music, we were talking about, oh, like the tension, oh, like the the voices, the there were harmonies. Like we were commenting on like implied chords, you know? And now it's like we kept the implied chords in a weird kind of way, but in a very different way. But yeah, yes. I think back when when the Romans were doing things, they were doing it for entertainment purposes. And mm-hmm. now that we're here, we're definitely not doing it for entertainment purposes. And there was a serious amount of repetition, like theme and stuff. Yeah. going on with the roman music yeah there was and the repetition that we see in the rest of this set is either super super overdone or just non-existent or at least at the point where you can't even notice it yeah mm-hmm. and that's something that our ears pick up on with our western music is it's built all around that slightly unexpected but also slightly expected musical idea that's why we love verses and choruses Mm -hmm. because it's It's almost we get that yeah western music is almost trained us that if if it doesn't require that then it has to be bad music if something's not hummable or doesn't have any kind of melodic structure to it then it's it's bad and i think that this is such an interesting challenge of that notion yeah, that but gets it, into have yeah. you listened to all those more existential music questions where it's like what makes it music and what makes like what makes music music and what makes art art. Uh-huh. But I think I think it's good music if they accomplish what they set out to do. Yeah, and they art, absolutely I think, have. I think art is good art whenever they accomplish what they had set out to do. They definitely accomplished mm-hmm. what they set out to do because I don't know how I'd start singing along to it. Right. But but I, it does feel very relaxing. I mean, the, the way that we mix things now to mix things to be relaxing is add a lot of reverb. Our ears love reverb just naturally, unless you're wanting to pick out exactly how to play something. But if you drench a very simple melody with reverb then your ear goes wow space time existence (laughs) and it doesn't really matter what's being played it just it wants to sense the space that's around you and i think that the that the recording that has been done for these songs did that very very well and so the preservation they were we have was really good that's because they were recorded authentically, and right. those are they're performed by real monks. It's not people recreating what the monks oh. are doing. They're filming them, the actual monks in their actual cathedrals. Wow. So it's you know this is an authentic performance, not by pretenders, by or imitators, by you know the people that were intended to sing this music in the place that they're intended to be sung. And that's probably why it's got so much power to it. Mm-hmm. You can imagine not done in a studio. You can imagine yourself like sitting in like an empty cathedral, right? Yeah. And actually, I kind of have a little bit of a cool story. So when I was in 2012, I actually got to take a school trip to France, and I got to sit in one of those services, and it was pretty cool. And they did do music like this. 
Cool. It was my first ever. Ex- it was my first ever exposure to it. We were like in this 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 gothic uh, French castle on Sunday morning, and it was pretty awesome. They had the incense and everything. That actually sounds really cool. Yeah. So you know, it's. It's it's all authentic. So, um, was there anything else that stood out to you guys? Are you ready to move on to the next? I'm ready to move on. I think we've we've proposed the theme for the rest of the uh, set. Yeah, I think that song and, has served its purpose. But this next so, one is the first. It's it's a stylistic change. Yes. yes, and so I wanted to take a brief moment and just because we're not going to be able to describe as much musical components, let's also let's talk about the mood of the set and how each song fits into where it is and kind of uh, let tell us how when you're listening to the set, kind of how the set guided you emotionally as we went. So we have the first song. It's it's a well-known song, probably the most Ave Maria is probably the most famous Gregorian chant. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with its continued use in popular culture today, but it's also fairly short. You know, it's a good. I wanted to use it as an introduction. You know, I didn't want to throw a seven-minute song right <laughs> at the very front. But we do have a very uh, different change. So, um, I'm going to try and say this correctly. Uh, the Benedictus Patrum. I probably semicolon three. It the exact same way. Semicolon three. <laughs> <laughs> so, as now that we know that these are actually being authentically um, performed, so when it says monks of the Abbey of Notre Dame, that's. Le- that's legit. That's where it's the monks of Notre Dame performing this in Notre Dame. Oh wow! So, which I think is pretty cool. This this song is a lot simpler than the first one. It sounds less like rambling, and it and, mm-hmm. and we are we kind of have like two notes pretty much the whole time. And, yeah, and there is a call and response. This is what I was talking about with the. It sounds like there's some leader. A musical, mm-hmm. yep. But still, kind of like the feeling of them all being faceless. They have no real identity. It's still everyone singing together. They're just mm-hmm. yes, and they're and they're saying the same thing. It's a call right. and response, right? So this is this is style is called responsorium. Responsorium and, makes sense. Uh huh. And so pretty much it's just you have a leader that says one line, you have the group that echoes the same words and same melodic line. So now go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is a song that I actually could not find the translation to. This was one of the ones that is not one of the popular ones. It was just one I heard and I was like, this I think could be an interesting texture for the set. But I was able to kind of do some digging on the language I could pick up. And pretty much what this is, it's 
it derives from the word benediction. This is pretty much just a, you know, a Lord bless you, keep you type prayer. Hmm. Bless the Father, bless the Son, bless the Holy Ghost, you know, bless the saints, bless. And that's what they're each line they're doing is they're blessing something else. So you, you talked a little bit right at the end of the last song about the different emotions that these songs portray. And obviously this song and the last song would be a little bit happy. You know, they, mm-hmm. we would have positive emotions. Do, do Throughout this set, are we changing to different positive emotions? Do we ever get negative? And what is that? Yeah, we like? do. Okay. Because some of these are used for funerals. Okay. Our funeral I guess services. we can talk about that when we get there. I just was wanting to know where, what direction we're going. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I would of... not have given the second song, like, the happy connotation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. This, it feels more solemn and a bit more like, you know, we have our opening, you know, song. And then it's kind of like, it's almost like we're bringing things down here. It feels almost robotic and in a weird kind of way. Like very it, it, it yeah. sounds like the, the guys from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> we are going to go to the spaceship now. You know, that's because they're on the five and the yeah. and the major third. You know, well, as opposed to like it you could also argue that it's like the, the one and the one six. And the, six but i don't hear it as the one and the six what very much like a five to the major third that's not what i'm getting on it at all that's probably that's why to me it sounded kind of optimistic that oh theory fight whatever theory fight it's okay it's just the way the different way we hear it and that probably has to do with the key that it's in because mm-hmm. you know when you have a melody like this that's very very simple your your ears are still going to try to fit chords to it so yeah that's just it's yeah it's just a natural byproduct of maybe me and ethan listening to different kinds of music that are in different keys yeah i um so there's a there's probably a possibility that, that some people are going to listen to this and not like the sound of his voice. Yes. But I actually really like it because I really like it almost just again creates this mood. It's almost yeah. like there's there's something a little off about it that kind of adds a little bit of suspense in my opinion. You're talking about this vocalist like he's the lead singer of Diction or something. Yeah, to where there's just the you, you kind of it almost creates this musical tension that ends up really not going anywhere that I think is actually in a way effective and maybe mm-hmm. was not the intention. But there's just there's something almost like there's a, there's an anticipation of something going to change because you have these two notes that are re- being repeated over and over again in this kind of this quaking almost kind of crazy sounding voice in another language i think like we're kind of conditioned like in horror movies you you expect to hear this before like something bad happens right or ghost albums right before the rest of the band comes in yeah (laughs) (laughs) it it 
this whole set kept making me want to listen to Infestus Mom just because <laughs> it reminded me of that. At the because yep. they open with their Gregorian chant style thing, and I think they use it very well the way that you just described where it's like it's very subdued kind of low pitch you don't really understand the language it's not clearly right in front of you uh-huh there's something feel because of the fact that our music has changed so much mm-hmm. there's almost this inherent alienness to this kind of music mm-hmm. yeah because we don't we don't hear stuff like this being played anymore and usually whenever you have um music that's not i guess what and by our ears considered beautiful that's voices especially groups of voices alone with no musical accompaniment it's usually always used to elicit a negative emotion yeah or or a very grand grandiose feeling uh-huh and so it's almost like it's just again there's there's a there's a little bit of a retraining of our brain but at the same time we can kind of embrace some of the emotions that we're unintentionally getting to kind of create something more than what the original author of the music intended yeah do you think was, this was, was something that the crowd would have repeated no, because again, they don't speak Latin. Damn, man. so strange. That, it's just boring to us, man. It's like, oh. It's like, why have... Why even Where's have the projector repeating, screen? Um, why even have a back and forth repeating part whenever no one else can even repeat except for the people that already know it? Um, that's a That's a really great question. He's not going to answer. And moving on, I to have our a couple. Song. I have I have a couple of theories on why, but you know, a lot of times stuff like this, there can be, um, you know, sacraments and rites going on while this is being sung. It doesn't necessarily mean they're singing that everyone is sitting watching. Um, you could have baptisms going on during this time. You could have, you know, people entering and exiting. Um, I, I have a feeling this is the kind of song that would play not for just people to just sit and look at. That there's probably some religious um, thing happening. Uh, yeah, to complement it. That's that's my hypothesis, but I don't I don't have the actual. I I definitely say yes. Mood wise, it's again I, I I keep imagining myself like if I was like sitting in the church, you know, while this was happening, I don't know if I would say unsettling because it's it's still it's not like there's not an enormous amount of tension, you know. But yeah, it, but it's it like just enough to kind of it definitely like hones my focus. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the best way I can say it. Is it's 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 enough to like laser beam my focus in because it's it's repetitive, but it's also intriguing, and it's like 
not complicated enough, but I'm trying to understand, you know, I'm trying to understand the, the repetition of it, mm-hmm. but it's so, re- it, it repeats so much, you know, but it also yeah. repeats so yeah. little, I don't know how to describe it. But again, it's, it drew your focus in and that's exactly what it wanted to do. So once again, it was successful in what it was aiming for. And that's yes. to put your mind to put your mind away. You know, they don't want you thinking about your normal day. They don't want you thinking about what you're going to be doing later when you leave church. You know, their goal is when you're there, once the music starts, you are thinking about religious things. Yeah. And so, you know, the they're, they they want you to focus. And so the fact that you're saying that it made you focus in on what's happening means that they did exactly what they wanted. Yep. Well, I think we can go ahead yes. and move on to the next song. This is my favorite one. And I will say that it's my favorite one because I can remember part of the melody. And that's the only one. Is the only yes one that I can remember part of. And it also <laughs> it just it lended itself to some interest. It could have gone many different ways, but I think we're not there musically here yet to be able to do the crazy suspensions from the major seven to the major six that I was feeling like it should have hit at some point. It, uh-huh. And this song, by the way, is we'll just call it in paradise. Let's do that. That sounds great because the real title is very long, um, and we'll get longer as we go. But um, it sounded to me at points like it was going to turn into like the Star Trek Final Frontier theme. And <laughs> Ethan, if you know what I'm talking about, it's one of those that has like a a Lydian suspension over the one. I'm sorry, I never watched Star Trek. Well, okay, but it has it has a it has a suspension from the major seven to the major six. Now this song doesn't do that, but when they when they actually sing the chorus, when they actually sing in Paradisum, there's a melody that follows right after that sounds like they're gonna go up there and it's just it was it it kept wanting me to like make them like move the melody that way but it didn't and so i remember that feeling of frustration which i don't think was the intention but that's why i remember this song is because yeah and of course none of them are listening <laughs> with the same musical brain that you right. are and so they're not even thinking that someone's going to be mad that it didn't go this way or exactly. that way musically well they probably don't care either Oh yeah, because that's not the that's... The, the purpose is not for me to pick out every note. I still they enjoyed the song, and I still really, <laughs> I really liked it still. But oh yeah, and I think that was why. I think it's because I was listening for that. I was listening closer to the song, and I was listening closer to that feeling of the suspension, not necessarily the notes themselves. And mm-hmm. so I was waiting and waiting for that hook to come back. And every time it came back, I was like, oh, this is the time where they're going to do it. But, uh, and so I, I noticed 
the hook more and I noticed the melodies more. And so whether that was, or that obviously was not the design, but it ended up working in the favor of this song that I ended up remembering it more. I think I'll agree with you and say this is my favorite of the set as well. It's the one that um, I would say melodically that that melody stuck with me more than any of the others. That's not how it goes, but I can hear it in my head. Listen, you can listen to us horribly butcher these lines. We would be beaten by the church for being out of tune. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to be I will say they uh they slowly uh descend in their key center over time because it's just voices. <laughs> oh, really? Did you guys pick up on that? I no. I did not pick up on that. Yeah, they like go I'm down by like a whole step by the end of the song. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm, I'd be very curious to know if that was intentional. Lucas, you're, I, you're I, very rare in that you don't descend uh, your tonal center when you're singing a cappella. Most people, especially me, will go down and down and down. I mean, even like Taylor Swift will sing flat, slightly flat. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. that just... You will then sing flat, and then you will hear yourself flat, and that very small correction will end up moving you down and down and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just, again, I tend to not listen with as a critical ear for that, I, those things. I only noticed it because um, I, whenever I was going back and re-listening to this, it got to the end and I wanted to listen to it again and then I popped it back and I was like, whoa! I, I, oh, okay. I wouldn't have noticed that. Like, if, you, if you're just listening through it in the set, it's just like, okay. But like, if you like, play it through the end and then you restart it at the beginning, you'll be like, what the heck? <laughs> but it's like, a, I mean, it's voices and it's a bunch of voices and so there's i'm gonna do that there's already a little bit of intonality just because there's like 20 people singing it you know or whatever and there's no and there's no musical accompaniment to kind of keep them and but like if if one of them is a little bit flat everyone kind of adjusts a little bit you know like it's not like one person that can keep their self themselves you know, mm-hmm. and so just over yeah. time they just fell. Well, it's not like bad on them. I think think that probably happens with most choirs that don't have like yeah in ears. Yeah, and I would say that you know they probably don't get beaten in modern times. Well, they should have. So, <laughs> oh gosh, that's brutal. <laughs> so, um. This song is a funeral song, one of the two funeral songs on our set. Mm. I guess but this is a but this is a song that's, you know, it's meant to be like a you know, rejoice they're in a better it's why it's called in paradisium the the person is in paradise. 
And so it's kind of meant to be a bit more of a, you know, a, a happier, much more so than the other one that's on this set. Okay. Which we'll which we'll get to later on. So that's so that's that's what's going on. That's in this. probably why it sounded very happy. You were like, "Oh, it's a funeral song." I'm like, "Well, but it's also called in paradise," and so. I, it maybe, I mean, to me, it seems like they all are working for the moment. Well, okay, working is, a, they're not really doing much. They're singing. But, like, they're waiting for that time that they can leave the earth. Like, that is the, mm -hmm. that is the goal. It's yeah, especially for so many of the... The working class people that's like death is a is the sweet release although at the same time they believed in in purgatory and so that's i don't true. know how they reconcile that with this song maybe it's like a, oh this person was really really good so they don't even go to purgatory i don't know hmm. well if you had enough money <laughs> yeah that's that's oh, true boy or if or if you lived a really good life yeah yeah and if you lived a monastic life i'm sure you would be considered living of a good life so the this song again all these songs are very good like attention grabbers you know cuz yeah. like whenever you're listening to these it's like even if like cuz on this one like I, there were some like like the na 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 like we can kind of hear different melodic components but in a in a weird way even before knowing like that it's like if you're not like a choir boy you like you can't sing these you know like you're not allowed to sing these i in a weird way though when even whenever i was listening to it it's like Whenever I would hum, like whenever I would try to hum it along with them, I'd be like, "I'm taking away from this, from I feel like what I'm supposed to be doing for the song." You know what I mean? Like whenever I would try to, whenever I would try to like participate, even like by myself, I would like stop participating because I was like, "I just feel like this is more for listening." <laughs> you know, like. It's mm -hmm. just written in that way where it's like, I feel like I should stop and just listen to it. Mm -hmm. Like the whole entire vibe is like, it's like, and maybe it's because I, I already know a little bit about Gregorian, like, and like the this vibe. But in a weird way, it's like, it does feel like almost even like disrespectful to like, like if this was happening, like, it would it would feel disrespectful to talk while this was going on. You know what I mean? Because it it does have like mm -hmm. kind of like religious flair to it in the yeah. way that it's composed. Uh, just again, it's just strengthening the argument more and more that you know they had a specific goal in mind with this music, and even us today in the modern world, like it's were unconsciously you know obeying exactly what they would want us to do which is to 
to not talk, to not participate, to just be in the moment and experience the music. And, you know, you, you were feeling that way even before I explained kind of all of the criteria that went along with it, which I just think is very fascinating. So with that, I think yes. we can go ahead and move on to the next song. Move on to the next song, which is not the Mr. Mystery song. No, which is a great Unfortunately, song. I actually am familiar with this song. Um, the And not this version of it. There's a different version of it that um, my high school choir, we did it in a round. And... Yeah, this is this is another song that's been adapted several times. And so, it, um, I would say this is another one of the big, big Gregorian chants. And so, it's kind of like a, the lyrics that I remember it being are like are very solemn. Actually, it's actually like basically God help us. Yeah, this is this is a this is a prayer of repentance. It's the the first line is "Oh God, please forgive us." It sounds repeated over and over and over again. Yes, it is. This is a very simple song. It kind of more in the vein of an Ave Maria. But are the lyrics repeated? Um, I believe so. Okay. That's what it sounded like to me. It sounded like the whole two minutes or whatever it was was just them saying something over and over and over again, which is kind of like the whole, um, like when you when teachers would like punish the kids of like uh, writing something on the board for like a hundred <laughs> times. And, no, for real. And and monks would do that to themselves supposedly during this time. Is like they would like whip themselves and like torture themselves and stuff. And so mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if this was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just guessing here that this was a song that they would sing to themselves to like make themselves feel bad for having sinned or something. Um, I don't think that they would, because again, you, even if you are a priest, you don't sing songs just yourself. You have to be singing them right. in the, uh, in the actual setting of church. But I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I bet that they are singing just as much for themselves as they are, you know, the audience or the, the congregation that's there, but it's, you know, it's meant for everybody. It's not just meant for the monks to sing. This is a call for every one to repent, even though again, they can't understand the words, you know, it it does create that sense of, you know, um, it's very possible again that the whoever is the priest in that dialect is saying, you know, this is the time that we're gonna, you know, if you have any sins to confess, please make your way uh, yeah. to the to the booths, and uh, a father will be there to administer penance. So even if they don't understand in the moment every word that's being said, it's probably very likely that they understand the meaning of each song and what the, you know, what's it's like happening. a musical prompt at that point. 
Like if you had been going yeah. to church for like three years back then, like in every time that it was like time to like confess, this song came on, like you would get the you'd start getting the cue. It's yeah. the offering song. Yeah. <laughs> Can we rename the song no. to that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, it's time to sing the offering song. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my grandparents were Methodists, and so like I I'm not used to the very like Methodist um, uh, kind of customs where they would like do the same thing over again and say the same thing over again, like when they we're finished reading scripture, you know, they'd say like, this is the word of God for the people of God. And everyone say, thanks be to God. That's like, that's something that it didn't weird me out. I thought it was kind of cool. And I kind of think that like a lot of the, a lot of the customs during mass are kind of cool as well. It's just, I don't, I don't think much of it, but I, I, it's, it's interesting to just this whole time. It's very interesting to kind of talk about, just some of the things that they did in Catholic Church during the mid medieval times, I guess. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I mean, they did have offerings during this time, right? They did have tithing and whatever. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. So that would be that's how that's that. how they had so much yeah, money. Well, <laughs> but they also did it from from other things. I didn't know if it was like that sort of. And and I'm sure if you was it was the control was it mind control or was it like iron fist control? Did they you know put people to death for not tithing or was that just not a problem? Did people just feel like that was the the what you should do? I guess I would say it's, I'd say it's probably a okay. little bit of both. You know, they the the times when people don't and step out of line. You know, there there are people that are made examples of, but you know, rebellion back in that time was very rare. And I would also say I would probably put on more of the mind control spectrum because anytime that anyone quote unquote stepped out of line the the punishment it wasn't just like a dictatorial government that was just like you're punished you know there was propaganda that came along with it which was like you are evil and mm-hmm. you are unholy and you are against god and so because yeah. you're against god we the church are going to deal with that and now we're going to punish you it was it was a punishment for being unholy not a punishment for being out of line necessarily yeah it was all about the how you spin it and then the, and the church tell you can what. pretty much like say anything that they want about like cast whatever judgment upon you as propaganda that they want to and no one's going to question their their say Hmm. Mm-hmm. the uh the catholic church were the they were the masters of torture back then like when when someone was deemed a heretic and a blasphemer they did not die a quick easy death it was a long painful death some of the some of the most brutal styles of execution were created by the roman catholic church okay 
including the Iron Maiden. Oh yes, the uh, the walk-in closet that's actually just a giant spiky booth. I heard that was a yeah. giant spiky. That's booth. the thing. That... No. Yeah, that's what. Oh, that's, that's what real. Iron Maiden was. Those were real. It's indespicable me. I thought it was just something that was kind of there when I first saw it as a kid. I think that the worst of the ways to die back then would have been like that, like golden calf thing that they put you in. What? He hasn't heard of this. Mm. Um. Well, I might be thinking of a uh, of what it is. Explain it. So, and I don't know who invented this. It messed up. It was like this brass cow, and they would strip you naked, and they would throw you in, and they would lock this, like, uh, it was the size of a cow. And so there was this door on the side that was also made of brass, and they would open it, and then they would put you inside of this hollow brass cow, and they would close it, and then they would light a fire under it. And the only way that you could breathe was there was like this kind of like tube thing that connected to where the mouth of the cow was. And so as your skin was falling off from the heat of the brass, you would just hear screaming from out of the mouth mouth of the cow, but it would sound like a moo. That's... That is so bad. That's like a saw trap. And so they would bring prisoners of war in these, they would roll them out burning, and they would have those, like, in the front lines to scare their enemies. Because if they captured you alive, that's what they would do to you. And so they would have, like, multiple of those on the battlefield. Dang. Yeah, that's uh that's very metal. <laughs> that's, that's more than metal. And metal it's just the, kill them all. This, that's more than metal. It's Catholic. It's the screaming cow. All right. Well, I'm sure they would be singing God help us while they were <laughs> They would be singing Security. help us. I'm trying to tie it back. <laughs> Look at that full circle. Perfect tie. Good job. You, did, you it. did it. We'll go ahead and move on to the next this one song. This has a really long title, and I don't know which I should use. I'm going to pick the last part. Ho- yeah. Yes, and that would, that would be Ho-die correct. nobis caelorum rex. Okay. Yeah, so this is, this is a Christmas oh, song. Yes. This is something you would you would, this is something you would sing during Christmas mass. Oh. Cool. Was it happy? Yay. Yes, this was about the birth Even of Jesus. We're singing with the minor 6 as the total root and we have a flat 7 in, thrown in there. Yeah, I I did not oh. pick up on saying happy. I well, none of these have been happy. Yeah, I Our, mean, you know, there's going to be a a certain amount of, you know, they're not going to have, you know, oh, praise the Lord, everyone is joyful. Like, those aren't the kind of songs that they're going to be singing. Our sense of happy and sad, but um, in the modern sense, 
are built off of a lot of things that have happened between now and then. That's true. And so specifically mm-hmm. I felt the, like Roman music had music that sounded happy. Well, I mean, but but that was just our interpretation. We don't really know. It, that could that could very much be, you know, biased by our cuz again, these are just guesses. Right. So it is it is possible that that's just our musical modern biases that are filtering into how they're playing that music. Again, this is this is the authentic yeah. um uh interpretation of this music. And so there's no question that this are these are the words and this is how it's supposed to sound. Uh, like we we in the modern era have much more than just major and minor. And even at this point we really didn't have much major and minor stuff going on because we didn't have a lot of harmony going on so there wasn't this sense of major is happy and minor is is sad i mean there obviously isn't because this song was in minor with the flat seven and well with it with the flat two and we still and we see it as very sad it's objectively on sheet music sad according to modern standards but that's this is apparently a happy song and then also compound on that instrumentation and tempo and what the percussion is doing and the harmonies and yada 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 and also the lyrics that we don't really know right and so it's it's kind of weird to think that a minor song is happy to them but like there there wasn't there wasn't much to go off of so it's, yes. it, it's okay and and this is a this is one of the longer songs of yeah. the set as well it's the you really sit with this song for quite a while is that because they put most of their significance on the specific event that this commemorates? I believe so, yeah. This is this is definitely kind of giving a recount of the Christmas story. Oh, really? Mhm. Cuz that's where the that's where the word in there of uh uh nativitate, nativity. So this one specifically, we have a we obviously have a responsorium one. Um, so this is the first part of the story. What what is this one specifically talking about? Um, this was another one where finding a uh, a translation was fairly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of more just able to. Um, to find general ideas but um, it says uh, today the king of heaven has deigned to be born of a virgin in order that fallen man can be recalled to the heavenly kingdom the army of angels rejoice because eternal salvation has appeared to the human race noel noel wow that's the English translation. Those are some really metal lyrics. 
<laughs> the army of angels rejoice. That's like Sabaton. That's like intense. But I can see what people mean by like that old music, like this era of music being very close to metal now because it is. Yeah. They borrow a lot from it. And classical too, but we have not gotten there. I can't wait to get there, but we have not gotten there yet. So we will have, we will so, have much so much fun when we there. talk about Bach. <laughs> so, uh, okay. It's it just it's weird that they have that accidental too, because you talked about uh, us staying in the eight tone you know, major octave. But now we have we have an accidental mm-hmm. here and it's almost like why would they even allow that? It could be that this song was maybe written a little bit after um that time period where this is this falls in more with in that transitional period. Mm-hmm. To where they're starting to introduce these ideas, which I think would make it fitting that this would be kind of more towards the end of the set. So it's it's very possible that that could be why, because you know they were very stylistically though that accidental doesn't like change. I mean, other than. It, that it has that accidental in it, it's not very much different than the other stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, it's not like it's this. It's not like when it happens, it's this huge. You know, oh, the entire flavor and context of the song. It's, it's kind of so. like, um, like that. Uh, Ethan, you've listened to "Singularity" by Devin Townsend. That one part when they sing "Selfish Messiah." That's a, that's an accidental that jumps outside of the major scale, but it doesn't completely change everything. And it, it it's a it's an accidental. It's a it's a sharp five, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of got the same sort of thing as as kind of like a, a like a flat seven from a six sort of. You can kind of make a really huge long stretch and say that they sort of have the same sort of feeling, but. Uh, neither one both of which are just kind of like peppering in you know it's not like jumping from a one major to a six major but that's why i'm saying i can see how if this was sung for the pope that he would probably be like that's fine yeah well probably because it's like they weren't (laughs) huge into to music necessarily being the Pope because they were huge into politics. You know? Mm-hmm. Th- this possible. is one of those songs that I will say of the set, it sounds like somebody's just singing whatever they feel like. They're not really actually composing. You know how kind of when you just sing along to whatever melody stuck <laughs> in your head when you're in the car because like your phone is dead, so you can't plug in the aux and you're afraid to turn on the radio. I definitely do that sometimes. And so I'll just sing whatever melody comes to my head. And I end up picking up on like these flurries of like three notes that I really like. And that's what this whole song sounds. It sounds like a bunch of rambling. And then every once in a while, they're like, ooh, I'm going to use this idea again. 
and then they do that's kind of where that flat seven comes in because they're like "Ooh, i'm back on the six i'm gonna put in the flat seven haha you know yeah and and not really have a repeated theme sort of and i think the whole song was like that yeah I like all of these insights that was, that was, yeah. because it's, again, just I, I love hearing all the theory behind it because it's, you know, again, I, I mostly just listen from an emotional standpoint and I, and I judge the songs based off that. So it's always I, great to hear I you guys I, uh, actually kind of analyzing a little I deeper. I wish I would have listened from an emotional standpoint because I think I would have gotten a lot more out of it than trying to pick out the actual theory. And I wish I would have written down the emotions that I had gotten. And I may have to start doing that for some of these episodes. I, you should probably, you should try and do it I for all it, of them it, as well as, you know, ones, I think in this time period, and I can save the rest of this thought for final thoughts, but like, I, I have a similar, emotion on all of them there's there's a very small degree of difference in how i feel right. uh, how each song makes me feel uh it's just you know how in the other set list like we'll be going through something and then lucas will put like at like the song four or song three spot like that like way super down just really introspective song moment mm-hmm. and those are like always like yeah i love that part this is like a whole set of that where it's just like you're kind of you kind of just like yeah. mentally freeze in time and and just listen and it's like it kind of makes the song doesn't make me feel happy it doesn't make me feel sad it doesn't make me feel anything other than like introspective or like just like a calm nothingness just an i exist it's it's just like whenever the song's on it's just like I'm just listening to this song yeah and in a good way yeah and I mean you know when I say that I put this and tried to make some kind of emotional thrill like I mean you know it's not going to be in the same grand way as like some other sets that we do there's there's not going to be in this octavarium moment or anything <laughs> like that but you know i try and make it at least a subtle um through line all right so i think we i think we can go ahead and talk about the last now this was the song. funeral song you mentioned I w- yes this is um i would say probably if any other gregorian chant is more popular than Ave Maria, it would be the Dies Irae. Sequentia. Yes. So this, um, and, and it even tells you in here, it's a Gregorian chant for the dead, which is just a boss name in of yeah. itself. So what, what, this is, what's the basic idea of this one? Because it's obviously not happy. This no, this is actually about the the coming day of oh. judgment. Okay. And um yeah, this is 
that day is a day of wrath, a day of tribulation and distress, a day of calamity and misery, a day of darkness and obscurity, a day of clouds and whirlwinds, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high bulwarks. That's actually um, from the Bible verse that it is taken from and given inspiration. Like when you put that into Latin, um, the day of wrath is translates to Dies Irae. Does it sound like flotsam and jetsam now? Uh, and here, here are actual lyrics. Ah, uh, that day of tears and mourning from the dust of earth, returning man for judgment must prepare him. Spare, O oh God, in mercy spare him. Lord, all pitying, Jesus bless, grant them thine eternal rest. Yep. That is flotsam and jetsam. So pretty much, it sounds like it's... Um, it's talking about, you know, we pray and we hope that when the final day comes that you won't send us to yeah. hell. Because <laughs> there's the there's the, the prophecy of the sheep and the goats in the end time where the sheep will be led to heaven and the goats to hell. And there's the lyric, with thy sheep a place provide me, from the goats afar divide me, to thy right hand do thou guide me. Hmm. Is that, this is reminiscent of that song, was it, uh, was it Greek music about Nemesis? And they were trying to appease Nemesis with their singing? Mm-hmm. This kind of yeah. reminds me of that. In some weird way, that that it's almost like a fearful sort of song where it's like they're they're not necessarily worshiping God. They're kind of just like saying, ah, don't send us to hell, please. You know? That's... Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's asking, you know, guide me and show me how to live my life okay. right. Pretty much it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil type okay. mindset. That's that's different. That's different. Okay. This one is my favorite in the set. Really? Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's only that way because and it might be where it's placed in the set that did it for me, honestly. Because whenever I, the first time that I... So how I do it is I listen through the entire set just like just one time through, you know, and just let myself just do whatever, you know, or just read first reactions. And then I'll go back through and I'll listen to all of them for the podcast for my thoughts. And whenever I got to this one, whenever like because none of none of the other songs in this have had like the range, like the melodic range. And so whenever it first starts and it's just like kind of in that same register as all the other ones were in, I was just like, okay, like, here we go. We're going to end. And then it goes to the higher octave. I was just like, whoa. And it was like, there was so, it was like, there was so (laughs) much like of like the same tonality that whenever that hop, whenever it hopped up to that, it was like, like my ear just rejoiced that it was not, um, this the the same as the other ones. This is the one with that that high octave jump. And I looked on 
what appeared to be the album art on Spotify, and I think it was recorded with female voices. It, it said so, but I don't know. I am... Uh, yeah, it does, and I mean, it's, you know, things have changed into where female vocals are allowed now but at the time that this was written this would not have been female voices this would have been performed by choir boys i i figured as much but uh and so that's why i didn't pick up on the whole like choir boy thing that it kind of like surprised me when you said that because i'm like but we have female voices in the thing but like okay I got you. So, yeah, and to what you were saying, Ethan, that was definitely intentional on my part to kind of save kind of the the that that nice little musical spice for right at the very end. Because especially, you know, having such a long song before then, there's a little bit of a an intentional testing of endurance. <laughs> and this is a bit and uh, and this is this is an intentional reward to it have. It was like a release. A brand. <laughs> it was like it was exactly. like a really demented form of tension and release. <laughs> we're, we're, I don't want to say boredom, but like that last song was a slog to get through, man. Yeah, it it, it's difficult. it's long. I was just like, wow. And then it got to this, and then the high nuts came in. I was like, ah, oh, yes. Very everything everything has a reason <laughs> and a purpose and it's set. So yeah, um but you would think that when the higher voices come in that you know, especially with a um with the higher vocals, you would think that, that maybe that you're juxtaposing juxtapos juxtapositioning um, between two mindsets, like the lower voice are going to say the more solemn, grim lyrics, and the high voice is going to say the, um, yeah, happy, the more, yeah, uh, and one of the lines in the high voices starts with "worthless are my prayers and sighing." Yeah. <laughs> Yet, good Lord in grace complying, rescue me from fires undying. Fires undying. I just, I just think it's hilarious to think that you've got this beautiful high voice starting with the line, worthless are my prayers and sighing. Like, that's so, this is such a metal <laughs> song. Yeah, yeah. That is weird because <laughs> we talked about in the Opeth episode about the juxtaposition being the other way and Ethan has cited that before about the screaming low vocals as being like an artistic tool and so we kind of are seeing that artistic tool here now and I don't see them I don't remember in the song them both singing at the same time and so it's it's they kind don't. of like that really it, it is kind of like an artistic tool to juxtapose but like at the same time what are they juxtaposing right because you you did just talk about 
that worthless are my prayers line from the high voices. And I'm sure the low voices are just as mm -hmm. as solemn and whatever. They are. It's just, I think, again, our modern brains would right. think when the light voice comes in that it's going to be the, the, the beautiful part, the, so the, the nice come lyrics. Along what, is what I mean. And that's, that's what yes. I'm learning throughout all these episodes. Mm -hmm. is we have come a long way. We have a lot to appreciate about modern music, even if some of the music we don't like so much in the modern music, we, we know a lot more nowadays. Yeah, again, I think there's just there's a working and then of not taking for granted all of the simple things of our music that we just we think that like it's always has been mm -hmm. this way and that it always should be this way. And I like kind of the, the challenges that going through these kinds of songs like, you know, we're just we're really looking to see, you know, are there absolutes in mm -hmm. how music is written? And I think that's always an interesting uh, challenge to take up. And that feels like a, a nice way to kind of wrap things up unless you guys have any other thoughts. I'm ready. About this I'm ready song. for final thoughts. I have Same. many of those. Well, I have many, but but I'm going to condense them into one. All right. Well, we'll take a break here. And when we come back, we are going to uh, give our final thoughts about Gregorian chant and music from the dark ages. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan back with the good music podcast. We just got done listening to our six songs this week which were ave maria benedicamus patrum three in paradisum Kyrie, hodi nobis calorum rex and dies irae and now we are on to our final segment which is final thoughts so grant what have you learned today and what are your final thoughts well i mean i kind of mentioned it towards the end that it's this idea of like how far we've come with the understanding of theory with our first three episodes. It was, it was a lot based on instrumentation and kind of like, you know, we're figuring out what music really is. Now we kind of know what music really is. We understand the scales. We kind of understand where the accidentals lie. We understand major modes for the most part. And so, but we come up with more and more embellishments to existing music like tempo and time signature and, you know, harmony and the understanding of how major and minor feel and the feeling behind music. We don't have a lot of intuition yet for the feeling behind music. And I'm really excited to hear that in the next few episodes as we get closer and closer to where we are today with that intuition of feel and how it develops and and tracking that and then also it's just it's it's really saddening to me that music was kept under the thumb of the church 
but at the same time, some really great Gregorian chants were created during that time. And I don't think they would have been had we not had that thumb of the Catholic Church on on music. And it, the the music did, you know, serve its purpose. It was very peace oriented and you'd listen to it and you'd have the overwhelming feeling of just contentment with existence and that's good and when music even very simple music that's that's somewhat subdued and not subdued but uh submissed i guess uh, serves its purpose still very well it's I, I have very mixed feelings about that and I don't really know kind of what my big like super huge takeaway with that is but it's just it's a very interesting feeling of great music but a very dark time and I think that even if you have a very dark time you still have some really good music then is even better music kind of like music from the irish civil war like it's a very dark time but they created some pretty decent music and so if you realize like what it came out of like what hardships people were really going through at that point you start to appreciate their music more and how it really kind of carried them through that time and so that's mm -hmm. kind of what I think about and I don't know if there's a real big final thought on that area but it's just it's something that I've thought about I think my uh, uh, maybe a different take on that is I I think that if we've learned anything from the past couple of episodes of the these music history things is that music is at its best whenever it's the easiest to access. I, I, I can't take away from the contribution that the Catholic Church had with transcribing their music and keeping a historical record of the music. But I, I would say that um, I think that this was definitely a stunt in musical growth uh, as a the species of human beings because the access of playing it and the access of performing it and the access of writing it was restricted. Uh, like whenever we saw in Greece... It was just like anyone like Greek. It's like music was just like elevated. It's like everyone should be playing. Everyone should just play because it's an expression, and people all across the world would come. And then Rome, we had another like just a surge of music where it's all cultures from all over the world are coming, and it's this melting pot of music, you know, again. And then we, to me, we we backtrack and we hit this period and we kind of go back to all of the music sounding the same and all of it wanting to try to it, it's it's music that is functional and not music that's like fun you know mm -hmm. it's not music to express 
it's music for like a means to an end for like a church service or like you know something like that which is what we saw in like the egyptian music you know and even like like it started out as religious and now that we're back to it being religious and and almost the music is for religion it's not for anything else like we're we kind of like regressed back to that in a weird kind of way we kept some things you know but so i would actually say that this reinforces to me like even nowadays like like they're like like rock and roll had like a an era you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but it was because like all of the records in the record store were rock you know and and like there you wouldn't find like any like b-list bands because they couldn't afford to do distribution on a record you know or or afford to get on the radio and now that we have like spotify and apple music and everything like the there's so much more music being experimented with now that the ease of access for music has increased I think to me it just reinforces like anytime that there's a cultural um, openness and and an increased access to both listening and performing music, I think music only benefits. It's really weird that you made that tie into there being a rock era, and now that we no longer have a rock era, music has benefited. It's more like, like it was the I same like with jazz. About weighing a bashing rock. It, well, in the twenties, it was like jazz. <laughs> it was only jazz, and there were some real like hard nosed people where it was like, if it's not jazz, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then we got out of that, and then it was Elvis, and then everyone's like, well, if it's not blues, you know. And then like everything was about that, and then everything's about rock, and then everything's about you know, whatever it is. And I Your think balls. nowadays, like there's like you have pop music but it's like since we don't just have to listen to the radio now like pop like there will never be a song that's bigger than michael jackson's songs you know because that it is just because that was the last time that like you had to buy the entire album you know like now it's like a band will come out with a single and it's like that's really good and then we're kind of on to the next thing like in in the metal underground scene you still have that but yeah that is underground so there's there's more camps like there's just as many or more people that are listening to music now but there's just like way more variety and people have there's more places for you to go and find a niche and it's not like well, if you don't like rock, then you're kind of out of luck because that's what's happening right now. And, oh, if you don't like, you know, Michael Jackson, if you don't like disco, if you don't like jazz in the 20s, if you don't like Elvis and the blues, then, you know, it's like if you were alive at that time, that's what you listened to and that's what you liked because that's all you had. And I think that's where it is with this, where it's like this was the only music that was available to them. So... And and experimenting with music was discouraged. And so that's probably why. And I don't know how long this specific era lasts, but me knowing nothing about music history, 
I would assume that the next big explosion of music is going to come whenever the reins on creativity are lessened and the value of experimentation are increased because that's just seems to be how it is. Yeah, I will, I will say that you're correct on that. Um, once we start to, um, once they start to be less strict on music, having to sound a certain way, we're going to find that they start to make up ground quickly, almost as if catching up for lost time it's going to start to rapidly grow at least compared to how yeah. much it moved previously. You know, it's going to be a long time before music is moving at the same rapidity that it is now to where, you know, styles could change in six months where back then it takes hundreds yeah. of years, but still, you know, we're going to see now all of a sudden this explosion of ideas come in. For me, um, it's, it's a little bit different because I'm actually, I've always been a fan while I do love music that's easy and accessible and, and popular music. I also just have this loving ear for the experience for the strange sounding. And again, this was not strange to their standards, mm -hmm. but it's strange to ours. Yeah. And, um, I've always just had a, a love for music that just kind of like breaks the norm. And this breaks the norm of our modern, um, songwriting conventions and expectations and just learning about, all the history around it about the influence that the catholic church had on it um learning what this music meant to the modern or the, the ordinary ordinary person um i found that i actually uh am starting to become a legitimate fan of gregorian chant music just for the sake of just listening to it just like this doesn't sound like anything else that I've heard really. And it's kind of nice to hear something that's just completely different. Hmm. And um, I'm very excited to continue this series. And I am excited to see that listeners are continuing to listen to this, that they're not just skipping over these episodes. Um, yeah, what was our so, on the Roman one? Oh man, it did very well. It it uh, crossed three hundred plays its first week. Oh wow, that's crazy. So for us talking about songs that they, I guarantee, have never heard before, you know that's that's showing to me that you guys are willing to come along this ride with us. So thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, please subscribe. We do these music history episodes the last week of every month. So you'll have to wait a couple more, especially November is a uh, is a long month because we've got five Mondays that, that month. So you're going to hear four episodes before you get to hear the next installment in this series. But we're going to be looking at the high Middle Ages and polyphonic music uh, when we get there. 
So uh, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. It'll let you know when uh, new episodes are available, uh, which is every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. And uh, if you want to hear us uh, talk about some other subjects, make sure to tune into After Hours. The way that you can tune into that is to become a patron. There's a link for that in the description of the episode, as well as a link to a Spotify playlist that will let you listen to the songs that we've been talking about this episode. And then uh, make sure you check us out on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. And... um, We are going to be doing another volume two, which is what we do the first uh, episode of every month. And we are going to be continuing the story of David Bowie. We, uh, in the previous, uh, the first episode of his, we looked at his rise to becoming the character of Ziggy Stardust. And the next episode uh, we're going to be looking at the next character he creates, Aladdin Sane. So make sure that you tune in for that. And um, thank you so much for listening. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music. Good music.